Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Scripture reading today will be from Genesis. We're going to switch the first verse into the bottom because it's printed a little bit upside down. So it'll be Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, and then Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. So verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. In male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Amen. Good morning. And welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. It's still good to see all your faces. I know it's been weeks uh, uh, now, but uh, it took us, it was months when I couldn't really see everybody's faces. So it's just good to see you all. Um, CDC, I I know, just recently updated their guidance deeming New York as an area of of lower concern. So I think I I take that as encouragement to keep encouraging ourselves to, to push ourselves to be seen and to see others. We also started a, a series a few weeks ago, and the goal was to look at the first few chapters of, of Genesis. And we're doing that because I think that many of the main questions that our culture is asking right now, questions about identity, who am I, what's the point of everything, why am I here, uh, questions about gender and, and, and sexuality, a lot of those questions are answered in Genesis. So for instance, today, take the concept of work. Why do we work? Well, if you ask Batman and Batman begins, he says this. He says, what you do is what defines you. What you do is what defines you. Now, he's from Gotham, so it's New York. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, is that the concept that we want for ourselves when it comes to work, right? Or perhaps maybe we want a different definition. Is that the relationship we want with work, that it defines us? And I think that's what our text is here to do. Our text is here to help us. So we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at the point of work. We're going to look at the poison of work. And we're going to look also at the real possibility for you and your work. So the point of work, the poison of work, but also the real possibility for you and your work. So first, the point of work. Um, Sophie read it earlier in chapter 1 of 26 through 28. We looked at this text 
a few weeks ago, but we didn't really highlight that even though God made humanity, right, in his image, we're told the reason why, it says to rule, to rule over the fishes and the birds and the beasts. But, and, he, and this, as he says that in verse 26, and then it's reiterated again in verse 28, the same thing, be fruitful, increase, fill the world to do it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky. However, that's nice, but we're not told what ruling looks like until chapter 2, verse 15. See, look what it says. It says, the Lord God took the man and put, them in the gar- put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. So there's a twofold answer to what it means to rule. We're going to look at what does it mean to work it and what does it mean to take care of it quickly. First, to work it. The word work is the Hebrew word to cultivate, to serve. And so what's important about that is that this is all happening before the fall. This is all pre-fall. That means sometimes the hardness of work, as hard as it is, we think it might be the product of the fall. But the truth is, no. If this is pre-fall, which it is, then there is something innate, there is something good in work right now that we should hold on to. So put it this way, if God, uh, you know, in Genesis 1, took, you know, nothing and made something and wielded it and did something with it, if God developed and cultivated the world and we're made in his image, then we're supposed to do the same thing. Now, I actually think the problem is, is that our nose is so much to the grindstone, we're so tired, we're so busy, we never just sit back and reflect on the cultivation that we're uh, able to partake in right now because of what other generations has done. You know what's amazing? Running water is amazing. Uh, indoor plumbing is amazing. Electricity is, is, is wonderful. And what, what, are, what are those things? Those are the products of human ingenuity over the generations. Um, a long time ago, when I was in high school, I uh, went hiking, backpacking in New Mexico. No running water, no electricity. I remember still to this day coming home and sitting on a toilet. And it was amazing <laughs> that you could, you know, just go. You know, just no digging, no worrying what you're about to step in. You're, it, you're able to just go. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I'm so glad people have cultivated the world to create toilets. And so for the question, I think a lot of times, you know, here's what's so funny. People are in, we're in this existential crisis in, a, in New York. We're like, what's the point of everything? What should I do with my life? And this text is telling you right here that the point of life is not just to make enough money just so that you don't have to work anymore. The point of life at some level is to cultivate, to build to work, you know, that there is something good about that in and of itself. I'll even go further and say, creation needs you to work it. That if you don't work creation, if you don't cultivate, if you don't build, it can't provide. You can't, unless you build a home and, and use those materials and wield it that way, you're not going to be able to make housing for people. If you don't sow and till and, and plant, you're not going to be able to make enough food to provide. And so this is what's fascinating is that Christianity, this idea, some people want Christianity to be some sort of pietistic, individualistic, something that you do on a Sunday and then you go home and you have the rest of your week and you do something else. No, if this is true, what Christianity is saying is that it's that 
Your job, my job, is to cultivate for the benefit of others, for the glory of God, who's made us. And that means then what you believe about the past, what you believe about the origins of things, actually affects your here and now and your future. So let me try to apply this for you. If you're a musician, if you, uh, like a professional musician, which, why do you play your music? Well, you play your music, hopefully, you know, to make money, but you're also, it, by creating that beauty, what you're doing is you're allowing other people to, as they listen to your music, enter into that beauty itself. That's what's happening in music, is that you're giving beauty that brings meaning to others. But let's get nitty-gritty. What's happening in music is you're taking the material world of sound and you're bending these noises to make something beautiful. So a trumpet in my hands, if I start blowing on it, it's just going to sound awful and noisy. But in the hands of a musician, what you've done is, is that you are making beauty. You're, you're taking in your, the forms of sound and, and bending them in the proper way. In the same way, Genesis 1, God takes the unformed creation, the chaos, and creates through it. Which means then all our work right now, today, is doing the exact same thing, taking the unformed chaos and making order and beauty with it. So business is making a product out of, you know, something. As I just talked about, art is cultivating paper and paint and sound and body and form and making beauty with it. But the trash man on, in New York City, what is the trash man doing? Picking up the chaos and bringing order to the brokenness that's, at, that's out there. And I think it's important to realize that sometimes it, we forget this, that we, we lose why we do what we do. And if you want the power that could be found to draw strength on this, we have to constantly, continually remind ourselves. So I guess before we move on, ask you, do you root your, your work, your larger, every, what you're doing in your life in this? Because that's what it means to work creation. That's verse 15. But notice there's a second phrase. Work it and, it says here, take care of it. And you say, what's that about? Well, the word care is the Hebrew word, same Hebrew word used of Abel when he is taking care of his flock. So it has connotations of, of guarding and watching over, which then I find this incredibly balanced. The writer here is saying, yeah, cultivate creation, work the world, build, and at the same time take care of it. In other words, you should, we're supposed to be creating a world for human flourishing and, but not necessarily at the cost of the world for flourishing. We're supposed to create flourishing for humans and the earth. And so I think if you zoom all the way out, what you see it, from Genesis to Revelation, you see uncultivated creation, greenery, but by the end in Revelation, you see a city that, that is the end result of what the new heavens and new earth is going to look like. But if you look carefully at Revelation 21 22, it's not just any city. It is a garden city, which is perfect balance-ness between uh, nature and cultivation. That's why my, one of my favorite views in Manhattan is in Central Park. If you stand at the very top of the Great Lawn, it's my favorite view because you look, if you look south, you see all the greenery, you see all the lawn, and then you see these buildings rise up. And I, and I have to believe at some level that's some version of what you're going to see in Revelation. 
at the end of time, you're going to see some uh, balanced nature of um, cultivation and, and uh, greenery. Now, um, that's nice, but let me take it one step further. It's that, that's nice, but Psalm 19 says this, that creation actually, all of creation points to God. Go to Psalm 19, and it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And I think we just sort of run on right, right by that. But what that means is this. If you cut down all the trees, there's, if creation is the thing that tells us about God, if you cut them all down, then you can't hear God. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't thought of it that way. That when you mess up creation, you're messing up one of the ways he reveals himself to you. And so this is, again, beautifully balanced. Fill the world, work it, build, take the raw materials and form it, but, but take care of it at the same time. And it's right here in one simple verse. So two, two quick implications about this. One um, is we need to expand our concept of work. It's not just your nine to five. Cleaning your room is taking chaos, probably, <laughs> and making order out of it. Being a stay-at-home mom or being a, 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 a woman CEO, they're both equally working. Both are working. All work matters. And since your work will have infinite worth, that therefore, when we work, we're creating something that's going to last beyond us. But then secondly, the second implication is, if there's no such thing as just a job, you have to, you have to put what we're doing in a, in a larger paradigm. N.T. Wright put it this way, imagine a, a stonemason working on a great cathedral hundreds of years ago. The architect has drawn the plans, and the stonemason has their one little stone right here, and their entire life is working that stone, cultivating it, chiseling it. And this actually really happened, is that people would, would spend their entire lives, decades, working on one little thing, and they never see the end product. They never see how what they did fit into the larger tapestry of the cathedral that was being made. But that person plays a small part into building something bigger. And I think that's us, that we are a part of a large plan that God is doing as he's building this kingdom. And we have a small role, but an important role in it. I guess we, I, before we move on, I, I, I worry, we live in a town that, you know, one of, their, one of the narratives we have here is work, but are we placing ourselves into this larger tapestry? Are we, are we really getting the full strength that we could have in having this kingdom view? Because the, if we did, the point of our work then would be massive. Point one. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq@redeemer.com or Join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Number two, the poison of work. It's possible while I'm talking, I can see it on some of your faces. In the back of your head, as I'm talking, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I hate my work. Work is hard. 
I don't want to work anymore. I'm tired. I'm resigned. I'm, you know, the great resignation. Everybody is like, I'm done. What is all that about? What it, that means, and I think we have to say this, is work is broken. That it's not the way it's supposed to be. Remember, work was pre-fall, but we're like, wait a second, then why is it so bad? Well, it's bad because, and we're getting ahead of ourselves now, because in Genesis 3, there is a brokenness that enters into the world. We're still in Genesis 2. Up until this point, the garden's been made, everything's great, things are happening, there, there's food and trees and life, and God basically has put Adam and Eve here, and he's saying, this is all yours. Which, by the way, let me just pause here for a second. I think a lot of times we, some, we, when we struggle to know about God's generosity, sometimes we need to go back and go, wait a second, the original plan was for abundant life. The original plan was for all this beauty and glory and wonder. I, um, uh, 20 years ago, I, my wife and I, we honeymooned in the south of France, and I still to this day remember going to, uh, you're just walking around, and you just, the breeze would pass, you know, the smell of lavender, which was everywhere, would, would, would hit you here and there, and it was, it was amazing. You go to the Netherlands, and in the Netherlands, you have um, these farms of tulips, and flowers everywhere, and every smell would show up there. And I have to imagine something like that it was what it was like to be in the garden. And yet it all got messed up. And why did it get messed up? It got messed up because God gave a command. And you're like, but why did he give a command? There's a part of you, I don't know about you, for me, I'm like, why did he make that rule that you can eat from anything, just don't eat from this one? In fact, that rule happens just one verse, I didn't print in your bulletin, but the verse after 15, verse 16 says this. God commanded the man, you are free to eat from the tree of the garden of good and evil. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just not that tree. And I think a lot of times we wonder, well, maybe this could have all been fixed if he just didn't give that rule. But actually, the reason why he gave that rule is kind of simple. Let me try to illustrate it for you. Every relationship has rules. You and I, right now, this very moment, we are following a rule right now to be in relationship. Fine, many of them, actually. Let me give you one. Here's the rule that you're doing right now, and I appreciate it. Thou shalt not spit on Michael while he's up here. I'm really thankful that you're not all actively spitting on me. Because I've got to be honest with you, if you did... I wouldn't stay up here. We would not be in relationship anymore. We, I would say, okay, I guess that's, we're done here. And some of you are like, well, that's all it takes? All right. But, but that's a rule. But think about it. For friendship, for your friendship, there is a rule you're following. Thou shalt not speak ill of thy friend to his or her face. You know, it, it, the rule of I'm not going to talk behind each other's back. See, what's, what's, what we talk about freedom all the time, but we obey rules all, every day to be in relationship with each other. Because the boundary of that rule creates the relationship that we can exist in. And so imagine, so if God wanted relationship with us, he would need a rule. Something to say, if you follow this, I know you're in relationship with me. And if you don't follow this, I guess we're not. And again, let, let me try to... How cool is this? We have so many rules that we have to be in relation with each other. God only gave one. One simple, basic 
rule. How, I mean, again, how gracious and loving is God that he said, okay, I'm gonna pick the most benign thing. You actually have all these other trees, just not this one. But there it is. It was, it was a way to say, are you in, are you out? Uh, a couple years ago, I was doing a, a um, marriage counseling for uh, a new couple, and I asked them just this question. I said, hey, should you ever marry somebody just for their money? You know, it's one of those questions you already know the answer. And the person, they're like, of course not, no. And I said, why? And they said, well, you're supposed to marry somebody for, for who they are, not what they give you. And I was like, yes. Always put, you're supposed to marry somebody for who they are, not what they give you. Because that's, that's proper relationship. But it's the same thing with God. You should not be sitting here saying, I want relation with God because he'll give me peace. Because then I'll, uh, you know, uh, feel f- warm and fuzzies inside of me. You're supposed to want God the go- for just who God is. That's what this rule was for. It was to say, I want relationship with him just for who he is, not what he gives me. And yet we broke that rule. And we actually, I would argue, we break it every single day. Today, it might not be you put a tree above him, but we can take anything and everything and make it more important to us than him. Power, approval, comfort, control, I would argue, are the main things we do. Now, think about this. Power used rightly is a good thing. And approval is a good thing. And comfort, who doesn't want to be comfortable? It's a good thing. Control. But if you place them inordinately above relationship with God, not if, but when we do it, that's when things break. And I would argue that the reason why our work is broken is because in various forms we have de-emphasize relationship with him and we've overemphasized other things and so i think christianity it, simultaneously we have to be able to say we do say your work has infinite value but you can't find infinite value in your work because this is because it's broken because it's hard because it's not the way it's supposed to be so last point what do we do with that do we just sort of pack it in and say oh well just sucks life's hard, then you die. There's a lot of people that have that view. They have that resignation. Life's hard, then you die. I think our text, again, can help us. And there's some hope in this one, not just this one passage, there's there's a three-letter word that has immense hope in it in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. That word put Uh, some commentaries point this out, is a causative verb. And as a causative verb, it it means that it's something that God's doing, and and with the grammar around it, it probably is better translated rested. God rested Adam and Eve in the garden. Right? Because rest is what? Rest is being provided for, being taken care of. So here's the logical flow that this passage really says. The Lord God rested Adam and Eve, took care of them, in the garden so they could work, which is actually an interesting juxtaposition. You need to rest, you need to be taken care of to work well. And I think what's really cool about this is that if if that's true, then that begs the question, if this is before the fall, why would Adam and Eve need to rest? Why why would they need to be taken care of if things haven't, haven't broken yet? And I would argue this is called foreshadowing. God somehow knew that what was about to happen, buried in our text, what's only made explicit later on in the Bible, 
that when Jesus actually shows up and says to his followers, come all ye who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Why do you need rest? Think. Think why why we overcommit. Think why we overwork. Think why we underwork. Think why we have this fraught relationship. And I think I would argue it's because at some level, we don't feel like we can really, really rest. That we're still trying. We're still trying to do. We're still trying to perform. We're still trying to get. And whatever it is, that thing, that can't give you what you need, only what he can give you. See, when when Jesus says, come ye all, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, he's saying, that's all you. And I can give you rest. I've, I've actually haven't, I haven't slept well the past couple weeks. Um, and, but every once in a while, I'll get like a really good night's sleep. And I think you've, you've probably experienced this yourself. When you get that good night's sleep, it helps. But it doesn't fill the full deficit of all the other stuff that's happened. I would argue that uh, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying you need a deeper rest than even any kind of physical sleep. You could get eight hours a day perfect amount of sleep but it still wouldn't be enough because you need rest from finding your image and self-worth in anything and everything else you need that rest that can be found only in him florence chadwick was known as one of the best open water swimmers ever she swam the english channel multiple times but on july 4th 1952 she was trying to swim the 26 miles between Catalina Island in the mainland of California. The weather was foggy, it was cold, it was rainy, it was, um, it was bad conditions. She had some boats around her to make sure that she was safe, but she couldn't see the shoreline. So she was swimming, but she couldn't see her progress, and her body kept shutting down, and she was tired, and eventually, completely exhausted, she gave up. Only later did she actually realize that she was about only um, half a mile away from the shore. But she didn't know that at the time. Two months later, she tried it again. And what was interesting is that the conditions were the exact same. Immense fog, couldn't see anything, cold water. uh, And yet after hours of swimming, she made it to the shore. And when she was asked, how did you do it? Despite all the fog, she said this. She said, I kept the mental image of the shoreline in my head. And I, I, I love that because what, what she's showing us is her circumstances were the same. The exact same circumstances hadn't changed. Both were hard work. But this time, she was able to make it because she could see the end. She could see, she could see the vision and the beauty of that shoreline before her, which allowed her to make it. And I would argue that if that was enough for her to make it, what would it mean for us if we had the vision of the shoreline, if we had the vision of the end, if we had the vision of the beauty possible for us, before us, always in our mind, made secure for us in Jesus, if, that, if he is our final resting place where we can rest on him, if that's our vision, I think it would give us a gentleness and a calmness to go through our daily progressions of work without either burning out on it or giving up through it because of the shore. See, I I think like Florence, you and I, we don't need just different circumstances. We need a different shoreline. 
We need a, a, a different vision to be able to make it through the fog of life. Keep that shoreline in mind. I, I think what, what I, I, I regularly try to do this. I try to think, what did Jesus do? What did, what did he go through? How can I rest on him? I don't need to strive. I don't need to, 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 to make it because I've been served. I've been saved. I've been made, it's been made true. That shoreline is real. And so today, if you're not a Christian, if you, are, you know, if you don't know necessarily what you believe, I'm going to ask you this. How can you make sure that you keep yourself from overworking? How do you make sure that you, you don't find your identity in, you know, in your work? Also, how do you make sure that you don't say, well, then nothing of this matters? I would argue that we have to ask ourselves, what's going to give us real rest? I would also argue if you are a Christian here today, I know for a fact you and I, we don't regularly put ourselves in this. That God rested Adam and Eve, and he wants to rest you. And when you say, well, I don't feel rested, it's, maybe it's because we haven't actually put ourselves in his rest. This is, this is a deeper rest than physical or emotional. I'm talking about a cosmic, spiritual rest where the striving that isn't just day to day, but it's like in the, in the bowels of our bones, doesn't have to happen. Not having to be more or less than who, it means accepting our finiteness. Here's what's so cool. There's only 24 days in the, in the, in the there's only 24 hours in a day. You don't have to do more than that. In fact, you can't. I used to talk to college students. I used to say, so what do you want to do in life? And they'd go, they would do, 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 and they'd give me a list. I'm like, well, where does that fit in 24 hours? They go, oh, you, you live into your finiteness, live into your createdness. And if you did, it would it'd allow you to rest. So I, I was asking this myself last night. If I can't turn off the light and know somehow that the Lord creator of the universe is saying to me, well done, good and faithful servant. If you can't do that, then I don't have to do more. Whether it's in my, I'm not just talking your, your, uh, the work of, of, of your nine to five, I'm talking about the work of your relationships, the work of your identity, the, work, the, the everyday work of being who you are. If you can't rest, I'm not sure we, I, you get Jesus yet. Jesus was crushed by his work, the work of the cross, so that, so that our work doesn't have to crush us anymore. What's amazing, if you take the, the full arc of the Bible, Genesis 1, God rested after he created because it was finished, it was done. Jesus, in the middle of history, his last words, you want to know what his last words were? It is finished, because the cosmic work was done. That's why you, today, through all the work that you have, you can still say it is finished, because the real work, the ultimate work, the cosmic work has been done, and it lets us then just do our day in and day out. Friends, I, w- I wish that we would do this. Maybe here, here's, an, here's a, an action step. Take everything that has happened this past week, all the things you didn't do enough of. Maybe you didn't eat well enough. You didn't sleep well enough. Maybe you didn't hang out with your friends well enough. Maybe you didn't uh, work well enough, spend time with Jesus well enough. Take all that and say this to yourself. Say, I know that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he loves me, he accepts me, he knows me. That is upon me now, despite all those things that I, where I failed. I don't have to earn favor with him. I don't have to work for my keep. And let, let, just let that hit you. 
Because the moment you do that, that would be where the rest is found. And don't just do it today, do it every day. Don't just, just, don't just think this, know this. Because I think if we don't, we've, we've forgotten our true value. And if you did, you would stop letting work rule you. I love this town, but this town says your work is who you are. But if you live that, you will burn out. People burn out here all the time. Why do people cycle out? This is a hard place to live because people cycle out all the time. I wonder if we had a proper view of work, we, we wouldn't. That we, could, we would be able to stay here and find this deeper rest. Friends, there will always be more work. There will always be more things that you didn't get done. But knowing that the ultimate work has been done through Jesus, let's rest in that. It was paid in full. And so there's only one thing left. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand with him. Stand with him. In him alone, gloriously complete. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to lay our deadly doing down. (laughs) It doesn't feel deadly. It feels like it's just what I have to do. But Father... Work is good in of itself, but Father, we've twisted it, we've, we've, we've misordered it in our lives. Help put it in the proper fashion, put bounds, put boundaries around it, Father, so that we can enter a relationship with you again. Thank you for just giving us one simple way to enter into a relationship with you, faith, which is just trust. And trust is just saying at the end of the day, I stand with you. Help us to do that. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.